Welcome to church. It's so good to be here this morning. I just wanted to say, uh, this is kind of funny. Uh, I forgot to tell everybody last week that there would not be a live stream, and I just about told the live stream that there was no live stream today. So uh, no live stream. We are doing some upgrades and modifications to our broadcast booth, and so uh, it's just us today. It's just us right here in the room, and that's all we need. Forget those people online. Um, uh, so we're just going to have a good time this morning. Here's what I want to do. I just want to do this really quick. If you're a first-time guest, be bold, be, be brave, and um, just, say, just, just shoot your hand up if you're a first-time guest. Real quick. Just, whoop, just like that. Whoop, look at all that. Give them a shout. Give them a shout. This week is National Back to Church Sunday. Uh, and we want to give a super special welcome to all the first-time guests. We're so glad to have you this morning. Uh, we believe that you're here for a purpose, on a purpose. And uh, who knows that we're living in a crazy time? Some of y'all are like, yeah. <laughs> who knows? You're supposed to be like, yeah. Uh, who knows that we're living in a very uncertain time? Yes. We are. It, it, that's very true. And, and listen to me. You need a job. You need a house. You need the car. You have to get the kids to work. You got, or wait, you, you, some parents are like, yes and amen. And I felt the Holy Spirit on that one. Uh, you got to get the kids to school. You've got to go to work. Got to get them to soccer practice, the basketball games, the swim meets, the football fields, on and on. And I totally get all of that. But even in the middle of it all, I believe, uh, and I believe scripture tells us that there's something you and your family need even more. And that is to be surrounded by a community of believers in the house of God having an encounter and an experience with the living Christ. That, that is what is important. School started back up, falls around the corner. Our calendars are getting crazy. The schedule's getting busy. Uh, but Jesus should always be the priority regardless of what we have going on outside of these four walls. Jesus should always be the priority no matter what. National Back to Church Sunday is the day that we come back together, we recommit ourselves and our families to the word of the Lord, the work of the Lord, and the house of the Lord. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise in the house. David said, I rejoiced when they told me to go to the house of the Lord. And then when I left the house of the Lord, I went and got some Jamaica Jays. It's in scripture. Not Definitely not. Welcome to the third week of our series for the month of September, Get Up and Go. Say that one time real loud. Okay, I'm going to give you a recap. If you're a first-time guest, uh, maybe you're new here this morning or you've been coming, missed a couple weeks, I'll give you a quick recap. The first week of the series, we talked about the last directive that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. We talked about the what. Okay, what is our mission? It's something called the Great Commission, uh, which is what this whole series is centered around. Getting up and going from where we are right now and making disciples, creating and producing disciples. Then last week, we talked about the who. Like, who are we supposed to walk through discipleship? Um, you tell me to go, and you tell me to tell people, but, but who am I supposed to tell? Is it everybody I see? Anybody I see? Uh, but we came to the conclusion that there's actually five to ten people in your circle of influence that God has strategically placed in your life. And these are people that we see frequently and have some kind of relationship with. You don't have to travel the country or fast for 40 days and 40 nights to figure this out. They're already there. Our job is to identify who they are. And then at the end of service, I asked you to write down five to ten names on the back of a card and pray that God would give you a divine opportunity to share your testimony, to share the good news. Did anybody have that opportunity this week? Anybody? Shout if you did. 
Some of you did. That's fantastic. This week, we are going to talk about another large obstacle and the next step uh, to the Great Commission, uh, another thing that kind of keeps us from getting up and going to the five to ten people. By the way, keep that card. Don't get rid of that card. Um, and what we're talking about this morning is the how. Everybody say how. how. Say it like you need to know. Like how? How, how, do, we, how do we do it? When we identify these people, or, or maybe it is a moment of spiritual spontaneity, what do we say? How do we do this? I know who I need to talk to, but I have no idea how. I have no idea what to say when I get there. Has anybody been there? Like you want to talk to somebody. You, you, have you ever felt like you're supposed to pray for somebody uh, or maybe encourage them or share something with them, but you didn't know how to start that conversation? You didn't know what to say, and so the moment got away from you. Anybody been there? Not many people are raising their hands, but I'd say everybody in this room has been there. Um, I've been there all the time. And so what you do, you, you're standing there and you're, you know you're supposed to share something with them. And so you try to think of a verse. You try to think of a scripture I can give them real quick. And, and you spend all week memorizing this scripture. But in that moment, it's gone. No, anybody. I just happened to me last week. And, and we do weird things. And somebody will be like, you know, my, my, we only know one scripture. My foot's, my foot's hurting. You know, I hurt my foot. Having a real hard time with my foot. It hurts. And uh, we'll say, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that... <laughs> Just kind of out of context. Little, you missed it a little bit. They need to hear it. But... And if you haven't been in a situation like that, I've been in there enough for every single person in this room and then some. There's been many moments in my life where I felt like the Spirit was leading me to talk to somebody, but I rationalized my way out of it because I didn't know how. I didn't know what to say. My guess is that very thing happened to somebody in this room last week. You all, Grandma said, me, mm-hmm, and she's great at it. So it happens to all of us. You, you almost did it, but you didn't know how, you didn't know what to say, and so you missed it. My goal this morning is that we would leave here not only knowing the what, not only knowing the who, but also knowing the how. Everybody say how. I know who to talk to, and I know how to start. I know what to say. Okay, and now that we've identified these five to 10 people, now that we've been praying over them for a week, right? You should have been. We're going to talk about how to start that conversation. And I believe that there's a universal starting point uh, that not only acts as an icebreaker that disarms the person that you're talking to, but also I think this is definitely a biblical model for how to approach people initially. And not just because it's the easiest, not just because it's the most convenient, but because it's actually the most effective. I believe that this is the most powerful method and that this method carries the most weight. And it's exactly what we're going to see in the story that we're going to look at this morning. And in my opinion, this is one of the most uh, touching and moving stories in the New Testament. And that is the story of the woman at the well. Everybody know about the woman at the well. We're going to learn about it here in just a second. But before we read the scripture, I want to give you some context behind it. We're, going to, we're actually going to watch this happen. But I want to give you some context behind this encounter that Jesus has uh, with this woman who is in desperate need of a soul change. Okay, the world was telling her she needed life change, but Jesus is about to tell her, no, you need a soul change. If you're following along in the Bible app, you can go ahead and pull that up. Uh, if you haven't done that before, pull up the YouVersion Bible app, go to events, Summit Church, and you can follow along. Uh, with the scripture and the verses, other information in there as well. Okay, this event takes place in John chapter four. 
So Jesus gets up and goes away from his disciples because he has a divine appointment from the Father with a particular woman in a strange land. Jesus makes his way uh, to this well to get a drink of water. At least that's what it looks like on the surface. Now, this is, this is no ordinary well. This is Jacob's well, okay? And there's a lot of history here. There's a lot that goes on. But this well has been there like since before Moses, okay? It's been there for a very long time. And it's been there for a couple millennia since then. It's a very important place uh, to the Jewish people and to the Samaritan people, which we're going to see. As he's sitting near this well, he's, it's the middle of the day, he's by himself, a woman approaches him. But this isn't just any woman. This is a Samaritan woman. And again, there's a lot of history here, but the short of it is this. Jews and Samaritans didn't hang out. There's a lot of tension between these two groups of people. You see, after the death of King Solomon, when there was peace uh, in, in the nation, when Solomon was king, there was unity. It was just a good time uh, to be an Israelite. After he died, the Israelite nation was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But then the Assyrians invaded the north. They invaded Israel. They took over, and the Jews began to intermarry with uh, foreigners. Uh, their beliefs changed just a little bit, and then they became a distinct and separate group of people called the Samaritans. And ever since then, there's been a lot of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, as you're going to see here in just a minute, the Jews believed that if they came in contact with a Samaritan, they would become ritually unclean. Like they would literally make them unclean for their ceremonies. They'd have to go through this whole purif purification process. It's this whole thing. Okay. So Jesus is at this well in Samaria. A Samaritan woman approached to fetch a pail of water. But there's more to this. Not only was she a Samaritan, she was a very promiscuous and sexually immoral Samaritan. And like every single person in this room, she had made a lot of mistakes in her life. She made a, a lot of mistakes. And as you're going to see, she feels very unworthy. She, she feels very, very unlovable. She feels stained. She feels tainted. God could never love me. Have you ever been there in the room? I certainly have. That's, that's where she is. Have you ever been standing at church? Maybe, this, maybe you're this morning. And, and worship is going on, and you're standing there, and you just you, you think, God, I've got nothing to give you. I've got nothing. I'm not even worthy to be standing in your presence. I've got nothing to give you. I'm a mess. My life is a mess. Anybody ever experienced that? I certainly have. And you have to know that the people that you're going out and getting, the people that you're trying to make disciples of, they feel that way. Many of them feel the exact same Way. And instead of reading this whole thing to you or trying to explain it, we're going to watch it happen from a clip from the TV show uh, Chosen, and it just so accurately depicts this moment. And before we do, I want you to pay attention to a few things. The first thing I want you to pay attention to is watch how Jesus talks to and cares for this woman. He does not throw the Bible at her. He does not shame her. He's just authentic, he's real, and he's present. Second, I want you to watch how she responds initially to Jesus, because sometimes even when you know what to say, even when you know how to start the conversation, people are still skeptical. But watch how Jesus responds to her skepticism. And finally, pay attention to the first thing she says as she's running down the hill. And you got you to pay close attention. And I just have to say to you this morning that this is a treat, that what we're going to watch, this scene is a treat. 
And I hate the word treat. I absolutely despise that word. I hate the word treat, Ron, almost as much as I hate corn. The, the word corn is the worst word in the English language. I despise the word corn. Corn, corn, corn. If I'm over at somebody's house and they're like, got some potatoes, got some baked steak, would you like some corn? I'm just like, no, I don't even want to say it. I love corn. I love the taste of corn. Corn. Anyway, interesting fact. I hate that word. If you ever offer me corn and I'm like, mm, nope, it's not because I don't like corn. It's because I don't like the word. Anyway, this is a treat if ever there was one. Uh, this is such a beautiful moment. Check this out. Go ahead and roll the video. Come on. Is that not just cool? I get emotional every single time I watch that scene. And I watched it a whole bunch this week. But it's such a perfect example of what it means to be changed by Jesus and then get up and go and give that change to the world around you. This was a deeply flawed woman. She had made a lot of mistakes. She was living in the depths of sin. But Jesus said, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or how many mistakes you've made. I came here today just for you. And he's saying the same thing to somebody today. I came here just for you. And I'm counting on you to get up and go share what has happened here with the world around you. Your testimony could be the catalyst that sets somebody free. Your witness, your example of what Jesus has done in your life to five to ten people in your circle of influence could be the thing that God uses to change their life, that he uses to draw them into an encounter with the living Christ. And notice that, that Jesus didn't pressure her at all. Did he force anything? No, he didn't call her a filthy dog, you filthy animal. He didn't tell her she had a filthy, dirty, potty mouth, wash it out with soap. He didn't shame her for drinking too much or partying on the weekends, you heathen, you hellion. He didn't condemn her for her past or even warn her about her future. That's not where he started. No, he was kind and patient and loving, and she knew he actually cared about her. That's where Jesus started, and I'm suggesting that's where you and I should start as well. And it's really easy when you watch that to put all your attention and all your focus on Jesus because it's so captiv captivating. But did you catch what she said as she was running down the hill? After she experienced a soul change, Scripture gives us a little more insight in John chapter 4, verse 28. It says this, so the woman left her water and went into town and said to the people, come and see. <laughs> After she experienced a life change, she went to her people and she said, come and see. She didn't try to, tell, to fix them. She didn't try to change them. She said, come and see. What did they do? They went out of the town and started coming to Jesus. She said, listen, I don't know what you guys are walking through. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you about what Jesus just did in my life. Let me tell you about a man that moved me and changed me and healed me and delivered me. Oh, you have to come see that guy. She shared her testimony. I hope you're seeing this. She shared what God had just done in her life. And because of that, a few verses later in verse 39, look what it says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Jesus was a Jew. 
These were Samaritans. The chances were slim. Because of her testimony, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What caused them to believe? What caused them to come and see? Was it exegetical gymnastics? Eschatological theories and opinions about the end times? No. It was simply her testimony. Guys, that is the how. It's your testimony. She did not give people false hope by telling them what God could do or may do in their lives. No, she only gave them what she had. And what she had was a testimony, a dynamite testimony. Look at what Jesus just did in my life. And that still applies to us today. When it comes to getting up and going, we have to focus less on what God could do in their life or what he may do in their life and focus so much more on what God has already done in our life. It changes everything. It changes everything. Start with, start with listen, I don't have all the answers. I can't explain or even understand exactly what you're feeling and walking through. I can't. And I don't know what God has in store for your life. And that's the truth. You don't. But here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that I used to be lost. Kevin Jones used to be very lost and now I'm very found. I was at the bottom of a bottle, but he pulled me out. I was on the brink of taking my own life, but he pulled me back in and gave me a new name and a new meaning and a purpose for existing. And I don't know exactly what you're feeling. I don't know what you're going through. For many people in this room, you could say this. I don't know about you, but what I can tell you this is my marriage was falling apart, but God picked me back, to, picked me up and put us back together. I don't have all the answers, but I'm a living example of what God will do in your life if you'll lay it all down and give it to him. Come on, somebody. Come and see. Just come and see. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a pastor or even a prayer warrior to take action and be effective in the kingdom. You don't need all that to love people. Paul says you can have all the knowledge of the scriptures, you can have all the spirit, all the power, but if you don't have love, you have nothing at all. And we don't love people by throwing the Bible at them and telling them what they need to fix or acting like we're on a superior spiritual level than they are. We love them by offering them hope, and we do that by leading them to the only one that can give it, and we do that by sharing our testimony. Not by talking about what God could do or may do, and you don't know what God has in store for them. Don't act like you do. You don't have to. Instead, tell them what God has done in your life. How many people in this room have been touched by hearing somebody's testimony? absolutely moved by it. And so you think when you hear that testimony, if they can do it, there's a chance I can do it too. Like if God did it for them, maybe he'll do it for me too. And I imagine that all the Samaritans that were coming to a Jew, to Jesus, I imagine all of them were feeling the same thing. Because they looked at the woman at the well and they said, we know who she used to be. We saw who she was. She was a mess. Something has changed. And if God can do it for her, maybe he can do it for me. And there's many people in this room right now that I know personally 
God has changed you and moved you. And if God can do it for you, God can do it for them. Consider this. When you go to the chiropractor or the dentist or the doctor and you have a great experience, what do you do? You tell people about it. You say, oh, if you're going to the doctor, hold on, pause. I got to tell you, I'm going to help you. You have got to go see how awesome this doctor is. Go see these people. You share your testimony about your experience, and then you trust the doctor with the rest. You don't tell somebody about a doctor and then try to do the surgery yourself. That's crazy. But that's what we do. We tell people about this life change, and then we try to fix them. No. Come and see. You don't, you don't have the know-how, but the doctor does. Come and see. I can't fix you, but come and see a guy that healed me and restored me and redeemed me and set me free. We do that with our testimony. So the question is, what is the how? How do we do this? We know the what. We're getting to know the who. How do we do it? This is very, very simple. Come and see a man that knows everything about my life and still calls me chosen. Come and see a man that knows all of my mistakes, all of my flaws, all of my weaknesses, but still calls me a mighty warrior. Let me tell you about a chain breaker and a promise keeper. Let me tell you about a man that knows how broken I am, but still calls me fully loved and fully known. Let me tell you about a God that knows the beginning from the end. Let me tell you about a king that restores the lost and heals the sick and brought my family back from the brink of destruction and my soul from the pits of despair. Come and see that guy. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But come and see a king that gave it to me anyway. (laughs) That's something that I think about all the time. I don't deserve anything I have. I don't deserve the wife I have. I don't deserve the job. I nothing. But he gave it to me anyway. Because he's good. That's who we're inviting people to meet. And once people hear your testimony and see your soul change, they'll want to meet the one that gave it to you. That is the how. So what is our mission? Get up and go make disciples. What is the who? Who do we make disciples out of? Five to ten people that we already have some kind of a relationship with. Now, how do we start the conversation? We start by sharing our testimony. How do we see Elkins changed by the good news? We tell people about what God is doing in our lives and in this house. And maybe you're in here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a testimony or not much of one. Or maybe you're even thinking, I haven't actually experienced that chain-breaking power that the woman at the well experienced. I still feel tied to my past. I've accepted the Lord like I'm coming to church, but I still feel bound. I'm not free to share my testimony because I still feel shame about it. What did Jesus do to this woman at the well? He set her free from shame. He set her free in an instant from guilt. And you say, I want to, I want all that. I just haven't experienced it. I want the enthusiasm and the boldness and the courage to get up and go, but I just don't have it. I mentioned the first week, You cannot give to somebody else what you don't have. You cannot give to somebody else what you haven't personally experienced. So here's what I want to do. The worship team is going to declare this this song over us right now in this house. And if that's you, 
If you're in this room and you say, I've never had that encounter, I want to know. Like, like I want to, to experience that. I want to see where God is in my life right now. I want you to know something right now this morning. Jesus is in the house. The Father is in the room. The Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving right now. And he's saying, come to the well that never runs dry. Everybody who's thirsty for more, come down. I'll give you a testimony. I'll show you where I am in your life. I'll break the chains. I'll set you free. Come. School started. Work is crazy. Life is busy. And there's no better time to give it all to God and say, God, move me, change me, heal me, redeem me, restore me, give me a testimony. (laughs) If that's you, I want you to be bold. I want you to be brave. I want you to stand up and I want you to come down front. And I personally am going to walk down here. I want to lay hands on you and pray with you. I want to pray that God would meet you right here, just like he met the woman at the well.